Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talk Gnosis After Dark, and we are continuing our discussion on the subject of love and how does love play into Gnosticism. We're being joined this evening uh, by Bishop Peterson, as we always do, by Father Tony, and also, um, Lainey, do you want to introduce our guest, Brian? Uh, I think you guys have been friends for a while. Yes, I'd like to introduce uh, Frater Ashen Chashen. Uh, Brian, he is uh, a ceremonial magician and an author and a seminarian in the Jonite Church. Welcome, Brian. Thank Brian, you. Brian, welcome. Thank you. Well, where should we begin? You know, we've had a pretty interesting uh, discussion on this uh, in the uh, in the video show. But, you know, why don't we just throw Brian right into the mix? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Brian, you know, um, let's, let's get you into this nice, you know, sauciness of this. Um, where do you feel that love plays in the role of Gnosticism? Well, as, as soon as I saw the topic, I was interested um, because it's something that I, I thought about mm -hmm. and uh, took a moment earlier today to kind of go back th through uh, my life and the, the whole concept of of love, both from the the uh, paradigms of um, you know early childhood and what that means, uh, psychology, and then later on um, spirituality, kind of you know growing up in, in uh, your basic. Christian framework of, of, you know, hearing that God is love and then um, hearing a lot of kind of explanations for the, the other things that you uh, and other people would experience in life that didn't seem to demonstrate that love or at least make uh, that message kind of confusing. Uh, and then part of that, that big question early on spurned on my, my exploration into other uh, religions, other philosophies, and, and uh, getting kind of a broader understanding of, of what the word love meant. And uh, I think it's kind of a maturing process and kind of a, a self-discovery of mm -hmm. you know, coming from um, early childhood, what, what nurturing is and, and if you experience and hopefully uh, most of us had through, you know, our, our parents uh, being one of the first um, basically examples of, of what this word love uh, would mean for us. Mm -hmm. And, um, adolescents, uh, you know, other members of the, the family, and then eventually onto that romantic love. And uh, that's kind of what seems to stick out in um, people's minds the most when we say that word. But, you know, of course, for me, it was, what, what does love look like? What does it mean um, to me personally? And what, how is that actually demonstrated in the world by a creator or a, a godlike figure or some celestial being that's that's not a human being that doesn't have the same psychological and, and physical dependencies and, and desires that we do as, as people, but still exhibits um, kind of a, a love that's that that you can see, that you can witness, that you can um, experience in, in some form or another, and uh, that that became uh, very interesting uh, to me, and, and especially. Um, it was a neat topic, which uh, tonight I, I was interested to get involved on. I didn't want to get too carried away, but um, one of the archangels that um, I had the, the pleasure of um, not only witnessing by myself, but with with a scryer of mine um, was the embodiment of love, the archangel of Venus. And uh, to kind of witness that firsthand and, and to not only hear what that being had to say, but uh, to, to feel that presence and um, that whole experience kind of... Uh, you know, slingshotted me into a whole new consideration of what this um, 
divine love could be about. And it's mm-hmm. a huge topic from there, but I didn't want to get uh, too carried away yet. So, But that's mm-hmm. kind of where I'm coming at this from. Well, absolutely. I mean, and, that, and that's your path. I'm fascinated. Yeah, I, I didn't think about it in terms of angelic magic, but of course, uh, working with a planetary angel like that, that would be, I think, quite remarkable. Uh, largely because I, I, my own limited experience with angelic presence is there's a, as I, I'm not that well acquainted with them, so there's always, I feel like a real disconnect between uh, angelic beings and myself. So I'm very curious to hear about your experiences if you're at all interested in sharing. Yeah, I'd be happy to um, yeah, share more of the, the experience, the, uh, the full relation of which um, is, is going into the second book that um, I'm working on where I'm basically sharing the exact experiences and, and the recorded um, uh, messages that my scryer and I experienced uh, evoking and, and uh, speaking with each one of these angels. Mm-hmm. And the Archangel Nael, or uh, Hanael, depending on uh, which translation you come from, uh, is the Archangel of Venus. And um, I wasn't quite sure what to expect um, when we decided to do the operation. I, I wanted to keep not only my own research, but especially that of my scryer. Um, I kind of wanted to basically keep him in the dark because I was really curious to gather the most kind of authentic um, experiences and and feedback of our operations that I can that were not necessarily fueled by, um, you know, the the kind of conscious imaginings um, and kind of predisposed ideals about what these beings would be like due to research and and all this other stuff. So uh, he wasn't even quite sure who we were going to be contacting uh, until we actually did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it came out as a very, very feminine um, being. And uh, throughout the entire operation, it it was just amazing, this kind of uh, genuine warmth and and love. There's really no other experience for it. It was like um, that kind of the the best feelings that one could recall of being cared for deeply, appreciated Mm -hmm. deeply, uh, genuinely loved, cared for, for somebody who truly knows you too, somebody yes. who knows everything about you um, and has known you for a long time and, and uh, without judgment. And the being went through this and it was really amazing to hear and it was questioned about, well, how does it exhibit love? What do you mean by this love? And, and the being went on to, to say to us that it deeply and truly cared and loved every single person no matter what they had done and i was like whoa that's that's a tall order and it was like through the most heinous crimes through the most anything that that there was this genuine love um extending not only from herself but it was uh, from the creator when when we first evoked her there was a uh she appeared in, in this kind of very angelic but uh nude form and there was this flaming heart um, that she had, and she kind of, um, it, it, this image floated right above her, and there was this intense light behind it, and we were questioning what this was. And she was saying that this flaming heart, or this image of who she was, was um, basically the um, the filter for God's love, that God's love was so intense, but that, that heart had to be in, in front of it, so it didn't basically wipe out creation with its intensity. It, it had to yeah. go through a filter and she was that filter for the 
the love aspect, the, the true love of, of the creator for everything that, that it had created. So that was our introduction. Wow. Yeah. That's a pretty powerful experience. Yeah, it was uh, we um, it was over an hour long, but it was kind of funny because we left that room and everything, giving each other a hug, saying, "Man, I love you so much." For everything. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we we're completely sappy, and, and the rest of my um, family, or at least my wife, there was laughing at us because we were just—I mean, we were completely sappy, but full of expression and, and just going into the sincerity about how much we appreciated the other person. And then, mm-hmm. then everybody, you know, after we, you know, extended that and it, it lasted for a long time, it was palpable through the week. And it just, wow, it's a, it's a feeling and sensation that is just mm-hmm. uh, not put into words, but the, uh, each one of these, uh, archangels when they're there, it's like their, uh, their essence and what they're about permeates everything it's it's palpable it spreads through the house and and uh lasts for you know at least weeks to come and and it's just amazing and it's incredible and um i guess experiencing that is as part of that uh that communication they they communicate through words but they communicate through images and these intense feelings and emotions that that can't even be explained in words and and uh, I'll never forget um, that encounter with her, especially shared with my scryer, because it was just so amplified and it was so palpable in so many ways. And the messages and words, the the recording that um, I'm translating into my book is, I think, has some very powerful messages. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing how people will take this. I'm looking forward to reading it. Can and- you? Um, I, I I suspect that there might be some people listening who don't know what it is exactly that you do as a ceremonial <laughs> magician. Can you kind of briefly explain the, you know, the, the evocation process and, and what it is and why you do it? Sure. So um, giving a little bit of background about my, myself, um, uh, I came upon um, or came to ceremonial magic after a lot of uh, intense study into spirituality, various uh, religions and such, because my um, my family, uh, definitely on my father's side and my father himself, and we kind of grew up with the just paranormal stuff happening ever since I was a kid. And um, not just like myself, not just my father, but the it seemed to be concentrated about, around um, uh, him and I, but uh, the whole family would, you know, experience stuff. And, and uh, it came out of kind of a a desire to understand what was going on because a lot of the uh, the answers to these questions I was getting to our ministers and other you know supposed officials were really lacking and didn't really give me much to go on. Plus, they didn't have these experiences themselves, so it really didn't help. But um, ceremonial magic was kind of um, yeah, almost a a point that I, I settled on after reading various um, grimoires or books of magic and, and seeing these experiments and they're about, um, you know, if you do this, this, and this on this day and this hour and say these words, then this being will appear and you'll be able to speak with them. So I'm like, oh, that's excellent. Uh, I should be able to do that. So um, I started messing around as right out of my teens and uh, it developed from there because I was getting results and it made me really excited uh, to keep going. And um, I really focus on the Solomonic um, cycle of, of uh, classical ritual magic and 
And uh, that classical magic um, has the, the grimoires like the, the Key of Solomon, the Lesser Key, the Lamegaton, um, uh, the, the, the um, Olympic Spirits, the Arbatel, the Almadel. Um, you know, you've got countless books of magic, and, and uh, the majority of them, if not uh, just about all of them, deal with how to evoke spirits um, and invoke them where you can see them and you can hear them, you can interact with them. Um, if, if we're to believe what these ancient books of magic are talking about, they're, they're pretty clear on there's solid communication going on. You have to be able to converse one-to-one. -one. It's not um, divination and, and some other things. Like Those are separate aspects, even though they, they kind of go along the same strain. Uh, these are pretty clear of being able to actually contact, see, and, and hear spirit clearly so you can gather information or ask it to do something for you. And uh, that's been my focus for um, probably about 14 or 15 years now. So mm -hmm. that's what I've been doing. And, and the most recent, the, the Archangels I'm talking about is based uh, from a section in the Magus uh, called Drawing Spirits into Crystals. And it's a very... Um, simple and direct, as far as grimoires are concerned, uh, method of calling up and communicating with angelic beings uh, directly by uh, via scrying through a crystal sphere that's set in in a ring of gold set in the ebony pedestal. And um, that's what uh, my book is about, Gateways Through Stone and Circle. I talk about the process for that and also my experiences um, actually doing the and practicing the system and, and what happened. Were you surprised uh, when you com communicated with this this particular archangel? Were you surprised about the uh, the you know feelings of love and, and acceptance, or was that something you were kind of expecting based on the characteristics? Yeah, I mean, I I'd known it was like okay with Venus and everything. I, I guess I was expecting. Um, something in that genre in uh, the the first time I did that I was by myself um, the second time um, it was curious because I had somebody there with me and uh, actually scrying and, and having them witness and see and, and communicate back uh, for the the angel directly and that was uh, interesting but I guess I was surprised on the intensity and, and the um, the way that uh, the process seemed to be even more amplified uh, the second time I did it with uh, my scryer there and everything, and, and just how uh, clear and concise and, and just how dynamic the uh, entire experience was. And, and, and when she was there and how um, she seemed to communicate to us both simultaneously um, through these images and feelings and through the words that were coming across. And, um, each and every time uh, has been, I guess, surprising and amazing, both my myself and, I, and my scryer even a minute, and this is five operations, successful operations after that. We always begin almost with that, that conscious thing, well, gosh, I wonder if nothing will show up this time. I wonder if nothing happens. What if nothing happens? What are we going to do? We just waste the whole hour or keep going? Like, you know, what happens? It's... um. Uh, even though it's happened so many times, it seems like it's it's just a, an amazing, incredible, incredible experience that it actually does happen each and every time. And with the, this Archangel of, of Venus, the the overwhelming, just amazing uh, energy. And then I, I think that time was when it, I think it really triggered 
that I've never felt this before and everything. I've never understood it until now. This is, this is a feeling of divine love and it mm. is amazing. I thought I could study it. I thought I could make it something I could understand through religious and, and philosophical exploration. I had no idea. This is amazing. I still don't understand it. I don't understand why the creator would love all of us. I don't even know why this angel's here with me. It's not like I'm some sort of amazing person, but this is amazing. I've never felt this before. This is the most beautiful thing in existence. Despite everything that has ever gone on or that is going on her will, that you know, this energy and this, this love and care is here is just the, my most extreme sensation of what, what could be beautiful, uh, of existence. And yeah. I just, to be able to be in that experience was a gift beyond belief. And that's the only way I can really explain it. Do you perceive a certain poverty then in the human experience with so many people walking through life with, you know, not believing or knowing that love, but yet you have ex had this experience. Do you, do you see some, do you have some sadness for humanity? There definitely is that. And, and I actually asked, uh, not, I don't believe, um, this angel, um, directly, but, um, I asked another spirit and I got a really uh, interesting response. And the response was, it is sad, he says, but um, in other ways, and so spirits and angels almost appreciate that of your humanity because it's such a unique experience. He says, mm -hmm. you don't understand when you're in spirit form and, and you're connected to everything and you're, you're basically reintegrated in, into mm -hmm. you know, this totality, you don't get to experience, even though it's an illusion, that, that experience of isolation. Uh, of being alone, of even being lonely, of even questioning that there might not be anything else there. He's like, that is so unique to the physical reality of life, of being a human being. Mm -hmm. He's like, it's hard and, and it, it, it makes some people so sad. He's like, but it's, it's a beautiful thing when you see it from that context. It's not, it's not very long. He's like, people don't get to experience that for, it seems like an eternity for people in the midst, but it's a very short a very brief story that they get to tell themselves. And that's part of that gift is being able to experience that, that sense. And it's kind of a weird dichotomy, almost a paradox. Well, when it was explained to me in that context, I was like, wow, that, that really makes me look at a lot of my own memories of feeling mm -hmm. that way. So much different. Um, and so much of thing of sadness, but again, this beauty when it's, when it's looking from the outside in, I guess, in that context. That, that, that's, that's very beautiful. That's very beautiful. We're talking a little bit, I don't know if, if you saw the video earlier, but we were talking a little bit about the importance or in, in many, in human relationships about of disillusionment in the process of loving somebody that, you know, you may start out all starry eyed and projecting a lot on that person and you think you love them because you've projected a lot on them. But over time, if you spend time with that individual, a disillusionment sets in, which can then um, offer an opportunity to develop genuine love for, for that person after you've gotten to know them. And you mentioned the illusion 
of separateness, separateness or isolation. And I, I wonder that uh, when I was talking about human relationships, we, we become disillusioned about our projections. But if we're talking about our relationships with the divine, uh, the disillusionment may, have, may be in a much more positive sense, even though it may be still quite painful, of admitting to ourselves or recognizing or knowing this love that is available to us. Yes, yeah, definitely. And I think it, it opens up the possibility for thoughts, experiences, and considerations that would basically be impossible um, if those uh, experiences were, were not possible for people, as, as difficult as it is. I mean, I would not wish anybody to remain in, in that state for long because it is painful. And I think just about every human being to some degree goes through those sometimes minute multiple times sometimes long periods of times and it's it's painful mm -hmm. but um to examine the self and, and and that individual spark of creation that we are and everything even if we do not feel connected to anything else at that time and everything to work from that point out in i think um creates possibility for Sometimes creation, sometimes it can lead to the destructive thinking, behavior, and, and unfortunately act, uh, actions as well. But um, I think a lot of it too has, has led to um, more beauty in the way of um, solemn creation and consideration and, and also appreciation. Uh, because once that love is found, mm -hmm. once it's realized uh, with its, within ourselves, when it's with other people, um, if we're mystics and magicians and, and we're fortunate enough to have that grace of experiential connection and that feeling of that love from the divine, how precious does that actually become for us when we've known separation, when we've mm -hmm. known that isolation before, how beautiful, wonderful, and encapsulating does that become when we when we get to experience that from our, our physical realities in that present moment. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we do have a question from one of our listeners, um, and the, the question is, and it's, it, it's um, perhaps a little related, um, on the subject of divine love for Gnostics, for those of you who believe in a literal demiurge, do you think mm -hmm. the demiurge loves us in his own twisted way? Oh, that's a good question. It's, I think it's a very good question. I don't know if you can necessarily... Well, I don't know. I, obviously, it was one of the, this is one of those things that for every five Gnostics, there are six opinions. Yeah. Uh, um, At least. It, the, the, the Demiurge takes a lot of different forms depending on which particular mythology you're talking about and, mm -hmm. you know, which time period you're talking about. There's a... There's a there's a tendency to not really even talk about a literal demiurge very much these days. And, and I don't, you know, as, as a fan of the concept as I am, I, I don't necessarily talk about a literal demiurge either. I don't, it's a, it's a difficult question that, uh, so like, so let's look at the way that the Sethians viewed the demiurge because that, that's the one I'm most familiar with. They kind of look at the demiurge as, egotistical, um, uh, arrogant, um, ignorant, uh, but largely with some of the same motivations that you would see, you know, with regular people. Uh, mm -hmm. 
So in a sense, the Demiurge creates us in order to have something to love. Um, in kind of the, the sense that, I mean, obviously the Sethian texts talk about it in terms of, you know, he creates people in order to have worshipers or, you know, mm-hmm. stuff mm-hmm. like that. But he, but that, I mean, isn't that, isn't that love? I mean, isn't he, isn't he trying to experience that love? Um, he creates humanity in the image of the perfect human that is reflected in the waters. Mm-hmm. So he certainly desires to um, have a relationship with that perfect human and creating us is the way that he did it. So I guess, sure. Yeah. In, in, in a certain way, you could say that the Demiurge loves us, even though he has a weird way of showing it. Well, it sounds like who the Sethians had strange mommy and daddy issues. Um, because I think, you know, we, we talked about this, in, you know, during the video. Um, we all know of parents who, you know, they have a child because they want a mini-me or they want, they, they, they want the child to do something for the parent. There, there's something that's there. And, um, you know, there is, there is that mean, desire. Like, tricks, like, you know. Well, some of them do. I mean, if you look at those little beauty pageant things, you know. Uh, you know <laughs> that stuff creeps me out. Yeah, I, well, don't don't get me started. Um, but yeah, I mean, you, you, you have that sort of thing. Um, you have this in some very toxic romantic relationships where one party wants the other person to be an ideal. Um, and there's no, there's no, there's no mutual uh, desire for true knowledge of the other it's it's a whole lot of projection um so i think that there's that now when when i saw this question i'll tell you what my response is it reminded me of the god that i knew in my evangelical pentecostal fundamentalist days uh where you have a you have a god that um yeah god loves you but god also tortures you uh, God has no problem with torturing sinners and actually kind of gets off on it. And even if you are a Christian and a child of God, that God has absolutely uh, no problem with uh, making your life miserable and you know making you do the exact thing that you don't want to do, for example. That's a very common uh, evangelical um, or fundamentalist pose that that, that people will take in situ- when, when making choices is the assumption that God always wants you to do the thing that you don't want to do. And, you know, that's a very twisted understanding, A, of God, B, of, of love. And when you don't have a, a right understanding of love that can, well, it's going to, it's going to affect you badly in many areas of your life. So for me, I, I immediately, when we're talking about a demiurge, I was thinking about my own conception of God, which was extremely oppressive. Hmm. And so that, that's, what, that's what that question triggered in me. Yeah, interesting. The, the, the whole idea of the the archons and the aeons and everything. Obviously we talk about them in, in human terms because that's what mm-hmm. we have to work with. And, uh, you know, it, it, I think of them personally more in terms of concepts than in terms of personalities. Mm-hmm. Um, but in a certain sense, don't, don't concepts have a life of their own and don't they have motivations of their own? 
Um, so I, I think that having having this language, this human language, to talk about these concepts is 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 useful in the sense, you know, that we have mm-hmm. these you know archetypes, I guess, for lack of a better term. Um, and we can have Jungians on here on on the show all day long who can talk about this better than I could. But uh, yeah, <laughs> but you know, there's this whole idea that you know we are created in the image of the divine and therefore um the things that we experience probably aren't too dissimilar from the things that the um parts of the divine that we understand experience mhm yeah um boy it's i just keep on you just it's so easy to to damage yourself with your idea uh, uh, of what God is, I think. I think, um, yeah. And so for me, I guess my own personal path has oftentimes focused on liberating myself from mm-hmm. the oppressive constructs, which on one hand have been my oppress- oppressive constructs of what God is, but then taking that concept and putting it on the human plane of what I think normal human relations ought to be, for example. There's been a real effort at liberating myself from that. And it's, 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 an, ongoing pro- it's an ongoing process. And it's, um, it, it's it, when um, Brian was talking about his experiences with you know, the, in, encountering this incredible, overwhelming love, the love that has to have a, a filter in the form of a little heart, otherwise mm-hmm. it would blow everything apart. Mm-hmm. It, it it was it made me feel it, it made me feel impoverished um, because it, it's a sense of having to walk around for so many years with this very twisted notion, and then there's this there's this raging fire out there that you know I can get a little bit closer to and get warmed by, um, mm-hmm. but having been in isolation from it, that's it's 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 very moving, a very moving concept to somebody who has. Work, try to work to undo uh, their notion of what God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have to admit to being a little lost by this whole topic anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just because, you know, it's, it, um, I don't know, maybe it's because I grew up in New England and we're not supposed to talk about our feelings. But uh, <laughs> Wicked. It, it is. It's, it's supposed to be wicked tough and stuff, you know. Wicked tough, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't have a lot of, um, <laughs> I don't even know what I'm trying to say. So, it, it's it's difficult for me to, to to discuss these concepts in a way that, that I guess, makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's, a, there's an intellectual level on which all of this makes sense to me, and, and I can, you know, I can discuss the concept of love in an abstract sense, but mm-hmm. I, I don't have a lot of experience talking about it in a kind of personal sense, I guess. Well, you know, I think we touched bases a little bit about this, so, you know, Father Tony uh, on the video shows, that in many cases, I think our concepts of love is tied so much to our own experiences here with on in the physical plane. And, you know, a lot of that, uh, you know, when we try to have other concepts, uh, um, sometimes I think it does sort of become kind of intellectual and heady. Um, but I think, you know, still um, even our experiences here on, on 
the physical plane, as the old cliche is, as above, so below. I think that, um, um, you know, sort of the divineness that we can see manifest with our own experiences of love, um, I think, you know, those are kind of universal, you know, principles. I mean, whether those are ideas, you know, the, the best parts of love are things like justice and and kindness and beauty and uh, and all of the things that we envision love to be, you know, this, this is why I found, you know, this experience of Brian so moving is, is, you know, he's having this direct experience, but I would say that, you know, for, for those who maybe don't have that um, experience, you know, maybe there is a certain, uh, uh, I don't know, a certain amount of that experience one has to have in one's life, you know, whether it is through, you know, the love of a child, through the love of uh, a deep love of a parent, uh, a, a deep love of a spouse, a deep love of your work, uh, some something that is manifest within, uh, I, I guess, upon the physical plane that we can associate with that love um, that maybe makes that concept of divine love more real or easier for us to explain. Um, you know, what's, what's your guys' thoughts on that? I think everybody ought to read Father Tony's book about spiritual practices. I know we, we talk about it a lot here on the show, mm -hmm. but I think for somebody um, who maybe has not had a lot of love in their life, um, the notion of, a, and I, I, I know I keep harping on it, but I think that it's important, the notion of the spiritual practice as being something that you can use to develop your attention, um, mm -hmm. even if it's just in fits and starts, but develop your attention onto uh, what may eventually become an object of your love. God, even if you don't feel like you can love very well, if you can continually work to focus your attention and you know, engage in that being open to God, but also seeking to know God, mm -hmm. um, that might be a w one way for somebody on a spiritual path to start cultivating that kind, that kind of, of, of attention uh, which can lead to, to love, which can lead to knowledge. If they can learn how to do it that way, there may be something that they can, that they can take from that when they're trying to uh, work with God, which is divine love, and then take that on the uh, material plane or the, the physical plane in their interpersonal relationships they may be able to f have an easier time uh, focusing their attention on somebody, expressing themselves to that individual, and um, being able to truly get to know somebody and have a satisfying, loving relationship. I'm not even talking about romantic love here. I'm talking mm -hmm. about any kind of, of, of healthy, loving relationship with another human being. I think that's very well said and, and put. I, I definitely need to read Father Tony's book myself still. <laughs> it just sounds like uh, everything I've heard about it's got a lot of amazing and kind of essential uh, pieces, especially for this path. And I, I think um, creating that space, whether it's meditation, spiritual or otherwise, um, and being able to genuinely love something, especially beyond yourself, but I think it needs to begin with yourself and that whole kind of cliche loving yourself. Um, I think when looked at is, is making space. 
so that we're not reaching for attachments. And that's the biggest thing with Westerners is they confuse this attachment. It's very Buddhist, but, um, you know, these attachments for love. And it's very much with the people. They can become dependent depressants and and they get attached to this ideal of of what this person is supposed to be for them and what it's supposed to uh, fulfill for them. Uh, and that's that's not love. Um, no. a real false um, idea. But to appreciate something and someone who, by the very definition of being, is changing, is not a consistent, is not something mm-hmm. that's going to emulate your full security, your happiness, and and your dependency. Um, I think life immediately will will kind of uh, deliver lessons to people who attempt that over and over again, and it's rather painful and it's again that mm-hmm. pain beauty of learning and lessing that hey this is not love that you're trying to latch onto a fantasy to something that's not in reality but if you can see this person if you can see yourself as this being of love of something of changing and that is not dependent on any one thing then um, i think you get closer to experiencing what that is and i think it goes hand in hand for the the mystic, the um, the monk, the the spiritual seeker who looks inside themselves first, creates that space, and then creates um, a kind of a peaceful, maybe a silent area where love can come into, where that divine love can be experienced as it really is, and not how someone's trying to make it into. Yeah. Now, um, you mentioned my book, and I, I do actually have something in my book that I wanted to bring up here anyway, so this is a good mm-hmm. time to do it. All um, right. <laughs> so I included a practice in the book that I was calling the um, the divine love practice, mm-hmm. and um, it – and 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 Brian, you mentioned you know loving yourself. I think and and I I don't I understand that that might be that might be more difficult for some people than loving somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, the, so the practice that I recommend is you know start by just trying to experience love in your daily life for other people, um, mm-hmm. most especially I think strangers. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know there's no there's no baggage there mm-hmm. uh so the practice basically goes you know you, you project a feeling of love towards that other person i mean obviously you don't go up to them and hug them or you know say tell them <laughs> that you love them or something cuz <laughs> then you go to jail yeah strangers don't react incredibly well to that um, i love you man and if they do you're in real trouble well yeah then then you, <laughs> then, then then it's a party um <laughs> no so you you project this love this feeling of love and you try and experience just you know uh, the the divine spark within me fe- feels this love and this connection to this divine spark within you within the, mm-hmm. the stranger and you know the 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 practice progresses from there and is kind of a visualization component but i think that's the the important part of it and you know as 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 corny as it might sound um that that particular practice uh has done a lot for me personally sure um you know i've uh Especially, you know, when I do it most often, actually, is when I'm in traffic. Ah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So you know, the you know the guy who's trying to cut into your lane and and do all that stuff, and you know, 
you know, you don't know what that person's life is like. You don't know what they're, you know, what they're trying yeah. to get to, or, uh, you know, you know, what, who, who's to say that they don't have a very important thing that they need to do, that their wife is in labor and they're, you know, they're run, rushing to the hospital or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So it, it's, it's very easy to kind of assume from a kind of a me centric universe. It's, it's easy to assume that this guy's cutting you off just to be a jerk. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and maybe, and maybe the person is just a jerk. <laughs> There's there a possibility. Of world, yes. But even so, you know, the, the, that part of us that is divine, that divine spark, that sacred flame, as we say in the Joe and I church, that part is eternal and consistent between all mm -hmm. of us. And so recognizing that and, and recognizing that love is the, the, the language that communicates between those divine sparks, I guess, for, for lack of a better way of putting it, um, you know, really, really helps you to put things into perspective and to keep you moving forward spiritually, I think, anyway. I, I think that that sort of thing is, can be an excellent practice. I used to do something similar on the bus. Uh, actually, I tried to work on it on the bus, and for a while I had one of those uh, finger rosaries that you can put around your finger and count off, and that I started for a while if I had a an unfortunate thought about somebody, um, I had to say five our, our fathers for them. Um, you know, the idea was is, is that this is not something that I want to be doing. I don't want to be making harsh judgments about people on a bus on a public bus. A lot of people who take the public bus are, are you know, there's a lot of folks, folks like me who don't drive or choose not to drive, but there are a lot of folks who are on the bus because they really don't have many other choices. And, um, yeah, learning some compassion for the least of these, I think, is essential. Mm -hmm. I would also say, though, that, you know, when, when you're talking about strangers, I, I do think, you know, the Catholic workers, uh, Dorothy Day, the founder of the Catholic workers, Dorothy Day, would talk about falling in love with the poor, with the people that she served. And I think it's um, one thing to say that it's important for us to have love for everybody, to have love you know, for my sacred flame, to love your sacred flame. But that can be really difficult if you are working at a homeless shelter and you get cussed out by somebody who's drunk. Um, that sort of thing, um, all of a sudden things start to get really real. And I think there's, on one hand, you can feel very alienated from that person and put up a wall, or you can, in time, seek to know these people better. And, and even the bad, and you may know that this person is a severely disturbed, angry drunk. Um, is it still possible to have love for that person even after you know something about them that is not not positive? And I think I would think that for some of us that might be a next step is when we start to engage with people and truly seek to know them and truly seek to, re to re reveal ourselves that we're also going to encounter things about them that are not easily explained not just having a bad day. There's some negativity there. Mm -hmm. And we have to learn, to, we can attempt to, to know and engage that and still have that desire to know that individual, still have that love for that person. And conversely, when we talk about knowing ourselves, and, and I think Brian spoke about this earlier, is doing the same thing for ourselves. When we have bad thoughts or feelings and, and, and kind of getting to know our shadow and still keep on knowing that instead of distancing ourselves from that 
putting that out of our minds and, and relegating that to the unconscious. Yeah, that's um, that's where being a Gnostic helps me. I think <laughs> that um, the <laughs> you you can be in that homeless shelter and then somebody's you know somebody's having an issue and and they're they're yelling and screaming and everything and, and it's it's easy for me at that point to say well yeah i mean the world kind of sucks i <laughs> that, yeah. i don't blame you this makes sense so there's a there's a <laughs> there's a bit of convenience there as far as gnosticism is concerned you know it, i uh, i don't think they're equivalent but you know when you uh I'm reminded of you know if if you're if you've ever been with young children you know young children cry and yell and scream and throw tantrums and things and you know you can be frustrated with that but you can't be mad at the child for for doing that kind of thing. Um, well, you can be. It's well, usually not very constructive, <laughs> but yeah, it, yeah, it doesn't help. Um, mm -hmm. So you know, in that same kind of way, the you know bad shit's going to happen. <laughs> and, and that's part of being in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to react to it in uh -huh. you know, in that in a negative way. You can just mm -hmm. accept it and say, "Yeah, okay, this is this is happening." But you know, how am I going to deal with that right now? Well, you know, let me kind of interject here for a second. When when we're seeing something bad that is happening in you know around us, you know, um, you know, is that one of the the acts of love or compassion? is maybe um, trying to establish some form of balance or equilibrium of maybe balancing out, you know, the negative that we see. Is that not one of the actions of both love and of wisdom? What do you mean by balancing out in this sense? Well, I mean, for an example, you know, we see, you know, um, um, a, 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 you know any form of, uh, of uh, a bad action. Um, you know, we let's just say we, we see a social injustice. We see, um, you know, a homeless man on the street. You know, do we then act in a way of uh, of love and compassion and and offer him a meal, offer him a, a kind words? Do we offer him, you know, um, a bath and a fresh set of clothing? Um, you know, um, if we see someone. Uh, who is maybe sitting there lonely at a bus stop in tears? Do we sit down and, you know, try to find out what's going on in their life? What is the cause of their pain? You know, do we do we ourselves try to aspire to be more than just? Oh well, you know, yeah, bad shit happens. Okay, uh, okay, yeah, bad. You know, bad. There's not a lot I can do about it. Or do we try to do some to be an active participant in this material universe to try to uh, cause change? Well, I think through there, love, yeah, I, I think mm -hmm. there is a lot we can do about it. I, I don't think that you know, just you know, obviously you can say, "Oh well, yeah, that's that sucks for you, sorry." Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I think as 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 Gnostics and as people of faith in general, I think we have an obligation to you know, alleviate the suffering of our fellow human beings. As I've mm -hmm. said on this program before, it's, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's impossible to think deeply about things of the spirit if you don't know where your next meal is coming from. Absolutely. So that's something that we as Gnostics can really, you know, affect other people's lives in that, mm -hmm. in that way. 
Mm-hmm. You sound like John, General Booth. <laughs> I don't get that reference. Salvation Army. Oh, okay. Uh, he said, you know, you shouldn't be preaching the gospel. You shouldn't. People don't like to hear the gospel on an empty belly or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Hearing this, uh, kind of how the conversation is going, it's more of us thinking uh, beyond the priest. And I start thinking about. Um, my role as a martial artist, I also teach martial arts and mm-hmm. uh, here in conflict and uh, through my philosophies and all my studying, if there's one thing that I see inherent as change is an important thing and it's it's inherent in anything. There's nothing that exists without change. Uh, nothing's in complete stasis or, or stagnant. Anything that remains in there is you know, it becomes destroyed. It becomes a nap. There's, there's nothing there. So with change, conflict is inherent in everything. So it's kind of the medium that you paint with in existence. And I think conflict inherently is very difficult for most people. But in the, in the martial arts, it's, it's something that um, is encouraged to explore. It's not something that's shied away from, that's seen as evil, that's, that's seen as, as a problem. It's seen as this building material that we have to form even better relationships. Conflict is inherent in every single relationship, the most loving one uh, to the most destructive one. It's, it's, it's something that um, is a need in any kind of exchange, not just between people and relationships and everything, but you can boil it down to the basic science. Uh, when you have one thing introduced to anything, even when we're talking about molecules, there's relationship, but there's also some sense of energetic conflict. And when people come to me and when I'm training them and everything, it's they're going towards pain. And a lot of times they're going towards their fears. Uh, it's a very basic human thing. Nobody likes to get hit. Nobody mm-hmm. necessarily enjoys um, pain or this kind of confrontation with another human being. But it goes into that where my uh, there's a saying where the uh, the last combative uh, ninja um, grandmaster that's the head of um, the style that I teach he says you 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 have to train like fire because that's how the sword is made and you think about a finely made sword and it goes through this very violent forging process being beaten being burned being submerged in water and all this other things it's a kind of um, you know a parallel and a metaphor for um, refining your spirit, being able to being able to grow, to become better, uh, to become stronger in anything that we choose, whether it's thinking, whether it's physically and everything, cannot be accomplished unless there's conflict, unless there's something that's kind of pushing us, working against us, mm-hmm. challenging us yeah. to change. And uh, when we do that against other people, some of the most peaceful people on the earth are the people that have gone towards probably some of the most biggest conflict. I mean, I love hearing um, interviews and stuff from like people who have climbed Mount Everest. Uh, The little things don't bother them. Uh, They've they've gone towards conflict of insurmountable challenge and everything that everything falls in a much different perspective to somebody who tries to run or buffer shelter themselves from conflict of any sorts. And, And this is kind of um, a difficult psychology, a difficult path for, for some people who were not born in drawing or, or due to early childhood injuries psychologically, um, have a lot of difficulty going towards those, those uncomfortable situations. But uh, for whatever reason, life leads us to explore that, to really, really go into that. It's that, again, that paradox of the more that you're accustomed to conflict, um, a lot of times, the more peaceful masters, at least I find, I've witnessed in my life, they're 
they're masters of conflict, they're familiar, they're comfortable with various forms of conflict. So in that, they find peace that seems unattainable for a lot of other people. And I think in that experience of understanding conflict for what it is, that capacity to love, to not be afraid, to not be angry at things that are different, that things that seem to work against you, uh, is more is more of a reality. It's a, it makes sense against that that kind of tempered psyche, that tempered personality, that tempered heart, that uh, is not hardened but more expansive. That ex that comfort zone has expanded. That love has expanded and is able to absorb and appreciate more novelty, more things that are different or that would previously seem threatening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I just looked down at the time and uh, we were approaching our hour here. <laughs> time kind of got away. I don't want to go in, but if, if anybody would care to, I, I brought up uh, the sections of Anaya and I had a couple of quotes. I don't know if anybody wants me to share them or if we can save that for another time, but... Um, oh, go was, ahead. Yeah. yeah, please, please do. Okay, um, there was one of the questions I said, what allowances are there for you uh, talking to an IL to see it on human affairs? How are interventions decided by you? And she responded, I reach my fingers into the heart of men and women and children, and I hold the light that is within them in front of their eyes. I remind the dictator of the love he has for his daughter. I remind the torturer in his dreams that every blow, every humiliation, he has indeed inflicted it upon himself and that he cannot escape his divine self no matter what atro atrocities he commits. I have the honor, the blessing of pulling the greatest part of humanity into the light and that they are astounded by it themselves. And regardless of what they do, I love them. And one of the uh, last ones I'll share with you is I said, great, beautiful angel, what advice can you give us to work and speak with you in the most beneficial of ways? How can we connect with you with the best ways? And she says, I, I require nothing. Simple. Come to me knowing that I will never judge you, that I will accept you for who you are, where you are, no matter what you have done. Step into the circle when you are in pain and allow me to comfort you. When you kiss the forehead of your son, your daughter, your wife, your mother, your father, see me in your mind, kiss them for me. Speak openly of your love for your family, your friends, and care not for what others may call you, or if they call you naive, when they call you a well-wisher or a fool. For that power, my power is beyond the grasp of the ignorant and those who have fallen in love with their own pain. So I just thought I'd share that with everyone. Yeah, That's um, beautiful. Thank absolutely you. Absolutely beautiful. That's going to be an interesting book. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, Hopefully same we here. we can you back on the show and you can talk about it maybe. Hey, great. Well, thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it and feeling the love from everyone. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and i got to tell you, the, the insight you gave, I think, is wonderful for our viewers. And especially, I think, this uh, last part that you shared with everyone, I think, is going to uh, give some lasting impressions on the concept of love for 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 everybody who's listening to the show thank yes, you so yes. much thank you so much thank you all right real quick before we go uh where do you want to send people to find you on the internet and whatnot uh for me you can you can find me at uh Fraderashan jason on, on facebook or my blog is called a magician's workings and uh, they should be able to, to find me and um if they want to they can contact me through there as well
All right, terrific. So, yeah, thanks again for joining us, especially last minute here like this. So we really appreciate you coming on Very the show. Very much. Very Thank much. you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank right. you, Brian. And for everybody else listening along at home, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Good night, everyone. Good night. This has been a production of the Gnostic NYC Network. For more information about this and all of the Gnostic NYC Network's programming, visit GnosticNYC.com. The opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Gnostic NYC, Talk Gnosis, or any other organization. This podcast has been released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 4.0 International License. 